Swim check one, two. Bike check one, two. Run check one, two. I think we're ready. Let's try this. Welcome to the Try Beginner's Luck podcast, a podcast where we explore the sport of triathlon from a variety of perspectives to help beginner triathletes on their journey. I am your host, Nashonda Shines. Well, welcome to another edition of Try Beginner's Luck. I am so excited today to have this guest. This guest kind of hits home a bit. I actually met her in my hometown. I had heard so many wonderful things about her prior to meeting her. But when I actually bumped into her at Ironman uh, Augusta in 2019, I was like, oh my gosh, you are the blank blank. Mm-hmm. And I was just floored, like probably a little bit of a fangirl. And I hope she didn't think I was like weird and obsessive. But I have none other than the pleasure to have Miss Sika Henry with me today, who is, let me give her her credit, the first African-American female professional triathlete. I am so just honored to have her. She is a corporate analyst by day and a professional triathlete by the other day. Cause there's like a two full-time jobs as we were just talking about it, like that she has. So she is now a professional triathlete and I am so honored to have you today. A former collegiate high jumper, high school athlete. You studied economics. So let me tell you, this girl is not only just athletic, but she's beauty and brains. And I am just so grateful to be able to have her speak to this audience on today. Welcome, Miss Sika Henry. Yeah, thank you, Mashonda. I feel like you're just described a whole new person. <laughs> so it's very kind of you. Um, and yes, I remember that day like it was yesterday when I met you at Ironman 70.3 Augusta. And uh, I was actually in a panic that day. <laughs> and you, it was helpful uh, meeting you because you called me down. I don't know if you remember the story, but I had packed the wrong wheel set for the race and I couldn't find the right one. So I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to race and I was standing around crying and uh, yeah, you just came over and smiling and you're like, you're Sika Henry. And you know, it was great. And you gave me a big hug. So thank you. Look, and I had no idea initially until after the fact, but that's what we should do. That's what this world of triathletes that's what we do. You know, we comfort each other in the midst of a storm when we think it's a storm because it is. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and I think to your point of packing the wrong will, that is sometimes a mistake that we often make and can happen to anybody, whether you're a beginner or not. And Mm -hmm. being uh, an an athlete, I want to just jump off and speaking to that about what to pack, how to pack, and making sure you have the right gear as an athlete. Can you mm-hmm. speak to that? Because again, you were stressed out in Augusta. This was a race that you were trying to initially get your, you know, your pro card. Right. And you have all this other stress. And then the fact that you leave yourself at home, can you speak to that? I mean, it was such a foolish mistake. So I packed two rear wheels. I packed a disc wheel and I packed a regular rear disc instead of uh, the front wheel. So because I'm on this new, at the time it was very new, it was the Cervelo P3X, it was really hard to get a disc brake disc break wheel there at the expo. So I'm calling like every shop in town. I ultimately had to actually spend uh, over $1,000 on the right wheel set. Yeah, at the, at the um, 
ch- athlete check-in and I ended up selling them later. So I got reimbursed for it, but uh, yeah, it's really easy. I think to make mistakes. Um, that's why it's so important. If you're somebody like me, I get really nervous the week of a race and I make a lot of stupid mistakes. So it's so good to like actually have a list or write, you know, write out everything you need for race day, you know, think about the day before, you know, food, nutrition. I mean, something as simple as water bottles, race belt, like write out every single thing that you need for race weekend and then pack it and, you know, cross it off your list. And that way you don't make silly mistakes like I made. I wouldn't call them silly. I would just say they're very costly. Yes. <laughs> they, they cost a lot of money up front, but you got yeah. your money back in the end. So it wasn't yeah. so bad after all. And you got to try out some new wheels, which you wouldn't have normally been able to try out. So it's, it was kind of a win-win, at least if you think about it from that perspective. I know at the time you were like, no, nope, nope. I, I, I still words. look at it as that was one of the worst, <laughs> dumbest things I could have done. Yes, it was very, it was more so scary because I wasn't even sure if I was going to be able to race if I couldn't find the right wheel set. So that could have just been a disaster. And I had actually partnered with Head Wheels at the time. So with my contract, I couldn't just ride any wheel set. So I actually had to use black tape to mark out the other wheels logos. It was a whole, whole spectacle. Wow. And just think about people who, you know, sometimes get on race day and they forget to, you know, these new fancy bikes where they have automatic shifters and don't charge their shifters. Yep. That too. And they can't race. So there's so many different things that can go wrong on race day and being prepared for them. And I think one of the things I would like to ask you is even in the midst of having new reels, new wheels, they say, don't try anything new on race day. Did you think how did your wheels impact your race? Those new wheels? Oh, I mean, well, it was just the front wheel that I needed. Um, I mean, I was paranoid. I had been riding tubeless and these were tube wheels. So then I had to think about, um, you know, what if I flat, like make sure that I have all the proper tool set. So it's beyond just riding a new brand or something like that. I mean, you have to think about everything. I had to um, yeah, make sure that I had an inflator and all that stuff. Cause if you ride tubeless and you know, you get a little puncture, it will kind of self inflate. So, and I'm not good at changing <laughs> tires if I do flat. So I was just praying it wasn't going to get any worse, but, um, I've learned from all these years of racing, expect the unexpected, like you just never know it's going to happen. So just be as prepared as possible. And I think that's why it's, important and really helpful to write out a list and go over it thousands of times. Like literally even now I lay everything before I pack it in a suitcase. I lay everything out on the floor. Like even my transition, I'm like, okay, do I have all my swim stuff? Do I have all my bike stuff? You know, shoes, helmet. Like I go through the race in my mind of exactly what I need. And then I put it in my bag. That is a good piece of advice. And I think I'm going to probably adapt that because I'm one of those people who I'm like, I'll pack it and, you know, pack things and I'm an overpacker. And then you get to the place and then everything is everywhere. And you're like, it's just too much. And so your mind right. cluttered, which means anyway, we won't get it. It's not about me. <laughs> so you mentioned about uh, the unexpected. Was this the most um, catastrophic unexpected event that has happened? Or have you had other unexpected race events that have happened? Um, well, I feel like every race, it brings, um, its own surprises. I mean, even the race recently, the half Ironman in Cancun, Mexico that I did, um, I 
had a mechanical issue on my bike. I, it, the roads weren't that great. Uh, it was in Mexico and I hit a pothole and I kind of flew up in the air, back down my seat. And I guess the screw was kind of loose and my seat collapsed. So I had to stop and I lost three minutes on the bike, but luckily I had the right tool set to fix the seat and, you know, three minutes later, get back to riding. So, um, yeah, I would say every race they do, there's one small, you know, little thing, but you learn from it. Um, that learn taught me the uh, importance of keeping the right tool set on your bike. Um, trying to think of other little crazy things that have happened. Um, oh, Augusta. Also, things couldn't get any worse with the, with the wheel situation. Um, the day of the race, we're lined up at the swim start. And, you know, it wasn't what's too legal, but I swim in a swim skin over my kit. And my buddy went to zip me up and the, the zipper popped. So I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. So, I mean, and God bless her, one of my friends, she was like, here, take mine. So she literally took off her swim skin and gave it to me. And I'm like, you know, no, absolutely not. I'm not taking it. And she's like, listen, you have more skin in the game. I want to see you get your pro card. And if some way I can, you know, help you towards that goal here, take my swim skin. So her name's Erica. She literally took her swim skin off. So yeah, I, I feel like every race, <laughs> there's something. Shout out to Erica for being a trooper and a true embodiment of what this community this track community is mm -hmm. and let me tell you Augusta I had a zipper pop too so maybe that was the zipper thing because you had your fastest swim in Augusta right or was a very fast swim in oh Augusta? no no that wasn't my fastest but um I did learn from that to bring two swim skins like I have an older version and a new model so I always bring a backup now I also always bring a backup uh set pair of goggles just in case, you know, one snaps or something like that, you always have another extra pair in your bag. So that's another thing that I bring. So we can conclude to say, for those of you who are listening, if it's important to you and you know you need it for the race, be sure to have more than one of that item. If three is your comfort level, is two of your is your comfort level, be sure to have extra of whatever it is that you know you can't do without for a race. I think that is safe to say. Right, totally so, agree. You've been racing for quite a while. Can you tell us how long have you been racing? Uh, well, with triathlon, I got into triathlon in 2013. I did my first sprint. Um, but before that, I was really focused on, well, not even really focused. I was a casual runner, <laughs> I'd say. But um, I do have a background. I did track and field in college, um, short sprints, high jump. And then I also swam all four years of high school. So, But with triathlon, I would say my journey began in 2013. 2013. And in, I'm going somewhere with this. In 2013, how old were you? I plead the fifth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Pleading the fifth. Well, I was going somewhere to say that you didn't start doing triathlons right out of college. Oh, right? no. Not. You started as an adult after you graduated from college and had right. started your career. Is that correct? Right. Yep, that's right. Correct. So what we're saying, or what I'm trying to say to those of you who are listening, this is the first African-American female pro who started her triathlon career in 2013. So there's no time like the present to start. You don't have to, you know, be this person coming out of high school. You can start at any age and still go to the pros if that's your desire or if you just want to just try because you want to try i think it's important to recognize here that you don't have to be a particular age in order to fulfill your dreams or to try and i think that's really good to you know put in fact so yeah. 2013 you start you have a full-time job tell us about 
how was it getting into the field? And when was it that you said, hey, I think I want to go pro? Yeah, um, well, backing up to what you said, I think that's in beauty, the beauty in endurance sports. Um, it takes a lot of consistency and it takes months, years to get really good at it. Um, had I tried to do a half Ironman in my early 20s out of college, yeah, that would not have happened. <laughs> um, I don't think I had the uh, mental strength to push through a long, grueling event like that. I think it takes a lot of life lessons and experiences and stuff like that. Like you go through some really hard stuff. So then when you get in something like a full Ironman, you're like, okay, I've been through worse at this point. So it's almost like a, it's better as an adult, I would say. Um, but for me, um, I did a marathon in, I did a marathon right out of college. It was a miserable experience. <laughs> I did somehow break four hours, but it involved a lot of puking and walking on the course and everything. And I'm like, okay, endurance sports are just not for me. But um, when I decided as a bucket list item to do a triathlon, I think all of the swimming and the biking, the cross training helped a ton. And I saw my times go down a lot with running. Um, I, and I stopped getting injured. So I went from not being able to break like 20 minutes in a 5k to all of a sudden doing triathlons and, you know, running in the 18s in a 5k. Um, I also totally unexpectedly did a marathon in 2015 local, um, race here, Newport news, one city marathon. And I won it. Um, so I think just like these little wins that I had built up a lot of confidence and I wanted to see how much better I could get. And I think also the curiosity of noticing so few people that look like us, you know, African-American women, people of color, um, you know, made me dig a little deeper and try to understand why that was and why there were so few of us at that elite pointy end. And I wanted to work towards that. Well, on the surface, um, very vain level, I will just say our hair, but you know, on a great... <laughs> Well, listen, you see mine right now. I swam earlier. <laughs> Your hair looks great. So don't even go there. Well, you know, she's a friend. Because <laughs> we have to do things to, like, it's a process, you know, in terms of being um, a woman of color who have more challenges and just going to the gym and leaving and going straight to work. No, that's, right. that's not the case. And you know, until recently, certain hairstyles just weren't acceptable. Right. Um, to your point of swimming in high school for years, you know, I grew up a swimmer and stopped swimming because I always had to wear braids and who wants to always be defined to wearing one hairstyle. And I was like, I right. won't do it. And it wasn't until I think my senior year, uh, my coach who was going to be the coach of our high school swim team was like, look, I know you can swim. You swim with my godson. I want you on this team. I wasn't interested, but right. he made a compelling offer. And I said, fine it's okay to be the first. So it was me and this other young guy and we were our whole high school swim team, but no one else wanted to participate because mm -hmm. you're at that age where you want to look good or at least look good all the time. And I think, right. you know, even to the point of training now and in the industry of going to work every day, or for me working on air, you can't just show up. Right. You have to, it's a process of making sure you if you can blow out your own hair, if your hair is natural or slicking it back or having the right products and the tools and, right. and just being an inconvenience. And then to that point of not seeing a lot of people of color is swimming is one of those areas where we don't grow up 
automatically knowing how to swim. So it's extra steps to grow up to learn how to swim if you mm -hmm. had access to swimming pools when you were younger and then being able to want to take it on to do the biking and the running aspect of it. But we are seeing more people get into it. And I'm yeah. just so grateful that you get to lead the pack of making <laughs> it, you know, achievable like mm -hmm. hey I she did this and yet you now we get to stand on your shoulders of being able to even just see somebody who looks that will identify with uh people of color minority women and alike so thank you so much yeah for that. oh of course and I just want to add I'm definitely not the only one um you know there are people right now that you know even I look up to I know you're gonna have Yvonne Spencer on your show yes. and it's so awesome that she created Fast Chicks. I mean, I find myself lurking in the Facebook group all the time, giggling and stuff, and it keeps yes. the sport fun and it brings more of us in there. And we're not afraid to, you know, ask questions and, uh, you know, give advice and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, while it is me that did get a pro card, there are definitely other, you know, women and men Absolutely. in the sport doing some really great things. Absolutely. And to your point, I, I guess what I'm saying is that now, not to say that you are the face, but those people you were able to talk to and they mentored you and now they passed the baton to you. So right. we just want to have credence to them because because of them, you can, right? Yes. Yep. Because exactly. of them, you can. So yeah. I didn't mean to throw a little shade. There wasn't any shade No, intended, no, no, it wasn't at but, all. I just want to you know. make sure that I, I don't think I'm on some pedestal over anybody else. I just want to put that out there. So... No, I get it. And I've met you. So I know that's your heart. Your heart is to, you know, serve and your humility, I think is what's so admirable because you are pleasant. And when people come up to you, you do talk to them. At least that was my experience. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, she actually wanted to talk to me. <laughs> and then it was like, we had this little, this little pack. I won't say the whole pack because I'm still working on a part of that. But mm -hmm. the fact that you have gotten to this, it just pushes me. And to be honest, because we made that pack, um, it pushed me to continue to do this podcast because I oh. said, there's something greater to yeah. it. And I remember what we said and uh, I'm still working on mine and I'll be able to share that. Maybe when we have you on, on season two, I will have okay. you know, made that <laughs> mark that we talked about, yeah. Yeah. but um, you know, you have to have those, those little pushes in life because you are going to come up through challenges. Like you said, yeah. things that will happen and mm -hmm. you have to have something that will push you to keep going and to move forward. And with that, I think sometimes in this sport, you do come across where you have injuries. And right. I think one of the things that I love about your story is that you are an overcomer girlfriend. Like in my eyes, one of the poster children of overcoming and succeeding. And I want you to talk about what it is to have a setback in order to be set up for success. Yeah. I mean, um, life isn't just, you know, up and positive and wonderful and, you know, no setbacks or anything like that, no matter how social media paints that picture. Um, you know, sometimes we do get in the habit of just showing people the side that we want them to see. But um, I think, I decided immediately after my accident that I was going to share my story. I was going to share the pictures and show what I've been through and the struggle. Um, you know, for a split second, I did think mm, maybe I'll just hide away and wait until I fully recover and I'm back to normal. And then I can just be like, yeah, I went through some stuff, but here I am. But uh, that's just not the reality. And in some ways it was therapeutic putting it, putting it out there. And also hearing other people's stories when I put, you know, even now I go through my, I, Instagram DMs and people who get into a really bad bike accident. They're like, oh my gosh, I just, the same thing happened to me. How did you get through this? So um, 
Yeah, and it was one of the hardest periods of my life, um, both physically, emotionally, mentally, everything. Um, just like the, gosh, horrific natures, nature of my injuries, especially to my face. Um, you know, you're a woman in your 30s and, you know, you wake up hours later not understanding what happens and you see that your nose is broken and you got to get your face stitched back together. You got to get fitted for a splint to keep your teeth in your mouth because they're loose. You can't eat solid food. I mean, I had to deal with road rash all over my body. So, I mean, yes, the vanity side in me, it was very hard to take. And then also the athlete, the competitor in me, it was hard nursing my injuries through the summer and not being able to really do anything. Meanwhile, all my friends are competing and posting about their PRs and um, yeah. And I did like, even though I, I guess in some ways recovered pretty quickly to get back out there when I saw you five months later. Um, but it, it involved a lot of uh, crying, like using my coach as a therapist. Um, you know, I was moody with my parents and, yeah, it just, it took a lot of, uh, I guess, mental strength to keep going. But I think once you figure out your why, like, why do I want to keep doing this? Um, if you can hold on to that, like once you pinpointed that, and if you can just remember that every time you want to quit, like, this is why I'm doing it, that will help you keep going. Wow, I love that. Um <clears throat> I just want to say that again, for those of you who might've missed it, pinpoint your why. And that's if you are age group, if you're elite, if you're just the casual try, uh, you know, the casual amateur, you still have a why. Mm -hmm. Find it. If it's to have fun and drink beer afterwards, have fun and drink beer. If right. it's to podium, podium. If it's to get to your pro card, get your pro card. And if it's just to have fun and be fit for life, do that, but know your why. I think that is so key and paramount, you know, for beginners to know why they're getting in. Because if you know your why, it makes the experience that much more engaging and fun. And it makes you want to stay in and um, to continue going on. You mentioned your having to wake up and not understand your, you know, your nose being broken, having to have a splint to keep your teeth in. And I remember when we met in Augusta, that was one of your main concerns. And I was like, girl, you are beautiful. What are you talking about? You are so stunning. You have been talking about your face. And I had, you know, to my point of not knowing, I didn't know that you had a major accident because right. I wasn't one who was so ingrained in the triathlon community. Like I knew people, but I didn't know if I was just seeing you at first sight, I wouldn't have known that. Right. But because that was what you you felt, you were like, oh no, this is real. This is who I am. And I was just like, no girl, you are beautiful. And you're about to do some amazing things. And um, I saw this picture of you on your website that was just <laughs> so beautiful. And of course I'm going somewhere with this. You were in the swimming pool, you were smiling and you had mascara on to the guys. And I said, because I am that girl. And because for those of you guys who were listening, like rolling your eyes in the back of your head, it's okay. I have to ask this question because I was like, I'm that girl who wears mascara. What brand of makeup did you use for that mascara to look good after you've come out of the water and out oh, of your gosh. goggles? Oh my uh gosh. Yes, yeah, something waterproof, I want to say something expensive from Sephora or, you know, one of those like 
$30 like bottle. It wasn't just Maybelline. Let's put it that way. I'm not even sure, but yes, I do. I do where I know I'm not just saying Maybelline or that's why I do end up spending a fortune way too often at Ulta. Um, yes, I am one of those people that comes out with makeup on at a race. I don't care because I know they're going to be taking pictures. And in order to do well, you have to feel good about yourself and the skin that you're in. And for me, that is getting a brace and earrings. Like I put my pearls on. So yeah, it's this whole process. Uh, I do my hair the day before I blow dry it and straighten it, even though we're getting in the freaking water and it's going to get ruined, but it's just this whole, like, you know, like confidence factor. So, yeah. Listen, you don't have to sell me on it. I am here <laughs> for it. If I could wear a lipstick, that's why I love uh, Vaughn who, you know, she's like, you know, mm-hmm. with lip gloss, like for me, yeah. it's lipstick. I would always put on lipstick and people would laugh at me when I first started. Like, are you seriously yeah. putting on lipstick before you cross the finish line? Heck yeah, I am. Yeah. And on those days when I don't, I look back at pictures and I'm like, oh, oh my gosh. But you're right. <laughs> you ha- From a woman's perspective, you know, I do believe if we don't feel good, we don't race well. Mm -hmm. And I think feeling good is a part of making sure we uplift with self-care. And when I saw that picture of you, I said, she better do it with that mascara (laughs) on. I said, yes, it gave me all the life. And I was just like, that's how you should look. You coming Mm -hmm. up, you're happy. It was like, you were looking up at a time. Like you was like, I did that. And it was just so stunning. So tell us about your self-care routine, because I believe it's important for, uh, you know, beginning triathletes and just in general to have a routine, to be able to press pause from the training and take care of yourself. What do you do? Yeah. Uh, I mean, even now during the pandemic, I'm working from home and I still wake up shower and, you know, get, do my hair and all that stuff as if I'm meeting somebody or I'm going into the office just because it puts me in a better mood. Um, yeah, my skincare routine and everything changed a lot after my accident because, you know, I had to see plastic surgeons, dermatologists, absolutely everybody. Um, I think I'm really lucky in that I was so healthy when my accident happened. So I recovered, I bounced back really fast. Um, I also stayed at my parents' house outside of New York City for a while. So I was able to see some of the best doctors and, you know, they put me on really good skincare regimens. Um, I use, uh, well now for sunscreen, actually, I've been really hooked on um, Zellius. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, They make really good sunscreen. Um, And then also I'm trying to think of the other one. Um, I use their, oh, Abaji. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know, expensive. It's so freaking Yes, but Abaji makes really great um, like face wipes and I have very oily skin and especially in the summer being like humid and me coming in absolutely drenched. So um, yeah, I make sure that I wash my face twice a day and you know, I use like the same product, same routine. And um, in terms of my hair, oh my gosh, I'm forever at the freaking beauty store trying new shampoos and conditioners and everything else. I won't even say I have a routine but um, I'm natural and my hair is wet half the time. So it's usually slicked back in a ponytail. And um, yeah, but I can't say that I have just like one set routine that I do every day. No. So let me ask you this, because I think that is great. What is it that you do for relaxation in self-care? Because that's also a part of it, like relaxing. Do you get massages? Do you go for facials? Like what is some of the thing that you do or go into these like hyper chamber saunas and things of that <laughs> nature to get restored? Like, what do you do? 
Right. Well, I do believe in the um, compression boots that I use. Some people know Norma Tech, but I use Speedhound because uh, mm-hmm. they're affordable. <laughs> uh, so I use Speedhound's boots and I try to do, um, you know, like after a long session on Saturday or something like that, I'll sit in the boots for about 20 to 30 minutes. Um, I'm religious about stretching. That's especially the older I get, that keeps me injury free. I have to stretch every single day after I work out. I know you just got to do it. I find that as soon as an injury stops pop, starts popping up, I'm like, it's because I didn't freaking stretch. Like I have to stretch. Um, other than that, I'm really like, I'm a huge vacation beach person. I love, I'm lucky. I live near uh, Hampton, Virginia. So near Buckrow beach and on the weekends, like after a long Saturday ride, you know, I ride 80 miles or whatever with my group. Like I will take myself, even if I'm alone, I will go to the beach and I'll relax the rest of the day there. So that and vacations, um, my family and I, we always plan a few vacations a year, usually somewhere fun, tropical or something like that, but I treat myself to that. Yep. And at night, my guilty pleasure is wine. <laughs> well, let's have a party with some wine, with a beach atmosphere. And um, I guess I'm at stretching. And the, if you guys laughed when she, uh, she laughed, because I made a face, uh, when she said stretching, I kind of like scrunched what I'm doing right now, scrunched my eyes and scratched my face because that's one of the parts that I really hate. But to your point this year, I've gotten more into it and you, you learn, like you get to be a little bit more nimble and you're, you get a little bit more flexibility and you see that you recover faster to go yeah. out and do the next thing. So I, I'm a believer of stretching. I don't like it, but I'm a believer. So thank you for enforcing that. Uh, Cause that's one more thing that I will continue to do. I tell you, I come, I come to these interviews and though I'm interviewing you, I really do come from the mindset of a beginner. Cause I'm like, wow, there's so much knowledge that I can pull out and gain and add. And I think even uh, from the perspective of uh, becoming pro Sika, do you feel like you approach this sport every time you go out from the mindset of a beginner, like getting out there for the first time? Oh my gosh. Yeah. This sport, there's so, it's so intricate and there's so many things that I'm still trying to figure out. So I don't feel like a pro. I feel sometimes like an amateur. Um, and my coach likes to remind me though, heading into races, I'm like asking him a gazillion questions. He's like, Sika, you have done so many of these now. Like you need to take that confidence of having done, you know, a slew of them and bring that into the race. So I do need to remember that I'm experienced, um, and that I've been through a lot, but yeah, I, I feel like I'm still figuring out my nutrition plan and I'm still experimenting with products to find the right things. I mean, it took me forever really to find the right saddle. Um, I finally, I don't know if you've seen buy saddle, oh God, the saddle issue, right? Especially as women, it's so hard. So I feel like I finally found the right saddle. Um, you know, buy saddle makes this great customizable saddle that, you know, you can fit to your body. So um, yeah, I'm still just learning about, uh, gosh, even going out for a run. I am always in Hoka Pearl, but I have to find the right shorts so that I don't chafe. And I'm still kind of experimenting with sneakers heading into my last race. I'm like, do I wear the, do I run in the carbon X2 or the rocket X? Like which one's faster? And yeah, I'm still, and I'm still, even my friends and I will be texting each other. Like, well, what shoes are you going to wear? Or, you know, which goggles did you have on did they fog up what you use to keep your goggles from fogging up so yeah there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle when it comes to triathlon and I guess in some ways that's what makes it um exciting and keeps you coming back for more because you haven't quite figured it out yet 
You haven't figured it out. I love it. Uh, there is, it's like a never endless cycle. And if you're into the tri-sport, you really can go down a rabbit hole of all of those things you mentioned from nutrition to shoes, to saddles, which mm, I'm having a challenge with myself right now mm-hmm. to, you know, finding out which bike to ride, you right. know, because you don't automatically come out of the gate knowing which is the best bike for your body type. Like right. it's such a science, like there's certain bikes that's meant more aerodynamic for a particular body type. If you have a small torso or a big torso, there's right. so many decisions to make um, in this industry. And I think that is just so wise is that you just keep approaching it like you're a beginner. So hence that's a plug, keep tuning into this podcast. How about that? <laughs> my little making my own little funny noises. You mentioned something. I do some pre-interview questions where I ask people um, just to kind of get an idea of who they are. And yeah. I just have to be funny. One of my questions that I asked Sika was, tell me, uh, how did I put the question? I'm trying to think. Um, how did I put it? I said, and it was so funny. I said, please share your try story. And you know what Sika did to me? Y'all know what she did to me? She says, um, go visit my website, secretmoney.com. I said, oh, no, she did not. How did, I'm asking. <laughs> she don't tell me to go to seekinghenry.com. Well, we still found out. Anyway, I just thought that was so funny and cute. But she also uh, said something that I thought was really key. And I think that it's so important for us to know is one of the things that you wish you would have known about the sport of triathlon that you didn't know at the beginning. Do you remember your answer? how hard it was. <laughs> was that, was that the answer? Oh, cause that's yes. the first thing that pops in my mind. I'm like, geez, you know, I didn't know people train twice a day, every day. I was so naive. Oh my gosh, Mashonda. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I really, even looking back when I first put out there in 2017, where I'm like, I want to be the first African-American woman to get my pro car. Like, I'm going to chase my pro car. And I didn't know what the, what that even meant. I did not know what it entailed. Uh, it wasn't really until I started working with coach Jonathan Karen um, right at the end of 2017. I didn't know that people train this much and this hard. I didn't really know how to properly train with power and to freaking hold, you know, I thought holding 200 watts for one minute was incredible. And I'm like, oh, people are doing this for the entire half Ironman. This is crazy. Like, uh, you know, that I would have to try to run a sub 130 half marathon off the bike. I mean, it was just, I was so naive to it. So yeah, yeah. Uh, to newbies, I would say, yeah, it's a hard sport. <laughs> don't be, don't be as naive as me. Yeah. And you you mentioned that it takes years, not only that it's just hard or grueling, but it takes years to develop. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes people want to automatically come in like, Hey, I'm elite, but it's just like anything since wine is your favorite thing. I'm going to use it as wine, just like a fine wine. It takes years for that wine to just be good and to be perfect. And Mm -hmm. if the wine is a little bit less mature, it's not as good, not that it's bad wine, but it's just not as good. And yet uh, as the wine matures, it gets better with age. And so I think that's how you have to treat the sport is that it gets better with age and um, you do it well and you look good by the way. Oh, thank you. And I think people need to know that you got your pro card Mm -hmm. in a great fashion, looking like fine wine. Oh, I don't know about that. If you saw me at the finish line, I actually ended up in the med tent. It was so hot there. It was like, it was in Cancun, Mexico. It was so humid. The run course, there was no shade. Um, 
And I wanted my pro card so bad. So like I was practically sprinting the last few miles and yeah, I looked pretty freaking bad. But afterwards, when I got back to the hotel and I had a margarita and I cleaned up and everything, then I was glowing. <laughs> hey, cause while in Cancun, you better get yourself a margarita. I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. But speaking of um, wanting your pro card so bad, to- I think it's just so interesting the steps that you had to take to get your pro card. Like if somebody was a beginner and they said, oh, I want to aspire to get my pro card. What are some of the steps that you would have to take in order to obtain your pro card? Right. So every country um, has a federation. Ours is USA Triathlon. And they put out the criteria every year. Um, for the most part, the past couple of years, it hasn't changed very much. And it has gotten increasingly harder um, over the years to qualify. So you can place top 10 amateur overall at Kona. That will get you your pro card. Um, but the criteria, or you can place top 10 at um, the Olympic distance at USA Triathlon Nationals. And you have to come in with, come within, I think, 8% of the winning time. Um, the criteria that I followed was place top three at a qualifying race. So these type of races are usually really competitive, like Augusta. Um, there has to be a large field. There has to be a pro race going on the same day. Um, there needs to be a prize purse and you have to compete on the same distance as the pros. So it's all laid out on USA Triathlon's website. Um, so for me, it was, Uh, I tried at Augusta after coming back from my crash. I wanted to place top three amateur women overall there, Um, but I came in sixth and I missed it by like three minutes. And then, um, yeah, I tried again at Challenge Cancun. There was a pro field um, and I came in third amateur. So I qualified at that one. And let's just give perspective, right? And I have to say shout out to Augusta. Augusta is my hometown. That's why I made that reference at the beginning of the, uh, this episode, but Dear old Augusta being uh, one of the premier locations. Come on now. Okay. But the, um, the prize purse and being in those, that category, you did Augusta and then you did Kona. And then was Kona your last race before Cancun? Uh, no. So I did Augusta two weeks later, I did Kona. And then I was supposed to race a few months later in early 2020, but then the pandemic happened. And every race that I was registered for in 2020, every triathlon race I was registered for got canceled. Um, When things started to open up at the end of 2020, um, I noticed that races in Florida were happening and Challenge Miami was supposed to happen in March early this year. So I was like, okay, that's my best bet to get a good race in. it had been so long since I'd done a triathlon, you know, over a year. So wanted to just finally get out there, do a half Ironman. So I did challenge Miami in March. That was my first race back. Okay. And then a month later I did. Yeah. Cancun. Cancun. Okay. So you had one in under your belt, which was still good before coming in and doing uh, uh, Cancun. Now 70.3 is your sweet spot. Mm-hmm. And being a high school um, and a collegiate sprinter, like, how did you come to the point? Because remember, in your 20s, you said that endurance was like, no, no. I'm not doing it. <laughs> no. How did you come to the point where you knew that 70.3 was where you wanted to focus your attention? God, I still don't know. I wish I could just go back to high jump sometimes. I mean, this stuff is so hard. It's so long. Um, I noticed that I was more competitive over the longer distances. When I first got introduced to the sport, I was doing 
sprints and Olympics. Um, but I did find that the longer it went, um, the run is my strength. It's at the end of the race. And the longer the run, <laughs> the more time I had to catch up to people. So I think the half Ironman is more manageable than a full Ironman. Um, you practically, as you know, have to like devote your existence to training for a full Ironman. And um, yeah, that's just not something mentally I can handle right now. So I like racing. So not just surviving. And that's for me when I do, <laughs> when I did Kona, it was like just survival. Um, but it's worth it to, you know, cross that line, say, you know, hear Mike Riley, say, seek Henry, armed Ironman, but yeah, full Ironman now. Uh, but the half, I feel like is a really good distance for me. Um, the 56 miles on the bike, it's like just long enough that I can handle it. And then I'm a pretty good half marathon runner, especially off the bike. So, um, yeah, I find it more manageable training wise and race wise. I love it. You like to race versus survive because once you get past that, the 56 mile or the 13 miles, you do get into survival mode. It's like, okay, oh, yeah. I know you're going to do this. Feast I know you're, drinking coke, you're drinking coke, walking. I mean, it's just awful. <laughs> I'm looking around like, why are people doing this again? Why am I here? Like put me out of my misery. Yeah. Marathon. And then you sign up again because you're like, yeah, the peer pressure, like, yes, let's do more. And you're like, why did I just allow myself to get sucked into signing up for this race? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, awesome. uh, for real. Like when I did Kona, I after I got off the bike and I still had to run the marathon, I sat in the tent, you know, the changing tent before you have to go back. out. I just literally sat there in one of those folding chairs, like just reevaluating my life, my existence, like my life choices. I'm like, oh, do I really want to go back out there? So. And Kona is not an easy race. No, people don't realize that. Like, it, it looks so pretty when you watch on NBC. You're like, oh, the beautiful water. It looks flat. No, it's really hilly. The bike course is insane. You can't get a feel for the wind unless you were truly out there on the course. I mean, like 40 mile per hour crosswinds. And, wow. you know, whoever's listening, this is actually my first full Ironman. And it happened to be that one. Um, I was lucky enough to get a slot through Hoka. They, um, they are the premier sponsor for Ironman. So they were able to give an athlete in a spot and I got one. So I didn't qualify. I was literally gifted this. Um, but yeah, it was quite an experience and, you know, one that'll take forever, but hardest thing I've ever done athletically for sure. Wow. So with that being your first Ironman, and again, there's somebody out there who's going out for their first Ironman or their first, you know, long distance course race, you know, with whichever brand that they choose to run with, right. what will be one of the things that you learned coming again to this as a new, uh, from a beginning perspective, your first one, I mean, and to be the first one, you were very blessed to have that amazing opportunity. Yes, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but what would you tell somebody like the first Ironman, you go out there and you do it. Aside from the actual course, what would you tell someone they needed to do to prepare for, for their first Iron, full Ironman? Um, get your nutrition dialed in. Um, cause I've seen some of the best people and they've had to drop out because they were just bonking hardcore. You know, they didn't take in enough electrolytes or enough calories. So really practice your nutrition, um, in, in, in practice, um, make sure that you have it dialed in as much as possible. Um, know the products that you're going to have, have it mapped out. Even if you need to use your Garmin, your watch to beep every, you know, 30 minutes to make sure that you're, you know, eating, taking in calories, stuff like that. So 
just really practice the nutrition because it can make or break a race. You know, if your stomach's messed up and you're throwing up and everything else, I mean, you know, you're most likely not going to make it to the finish line. And sometimes that's really all it is. Like that's the accomplishment of itself in and of itself in an Ironman is getting to that finish line, not necessarily time and stuff. I think as a beginner, you really need to just throw that out the window. I hear people say, Oh, I want my swim time to be this. And you know, my bike time to be this. And then a marathon, I'm like, you, it's easy to say that until you get in the race itself. And it's hard to put time limits on yourself because it, you're at the mercy of the conditions, um, whether it's, you know, a wetsuit legal race, or it's really windy, or it's raining, or, you know, you have to take bathroom breaks and stuff. So, um, yes, yeah, going back to what we said before, expect the unexpected and don't just put, you know, don't base everything on your time. Like, oh, I'm not hitting my splits. This is horrible. My day's over. You can't really think that way and something so long. You are at the mercy of the conditions. Mm-hmm. That's pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because if you're on the East Coast coming to the West Coast, heat dry heat is a factor. Or if you're in the North going South to Georgia in the middle of September, heat is hot. It is hot. And I saw so many people in that medical tent myself, or, you know, if you're going from the South to the North and it's winter or, you know, cooler, you have to train for those conditions. And I would just suggest, you know, looking at training camps to see if there's training camps in those areas to perhaps go take a visit, see what the area is like and just train as much as possible or um, pick the time of day you train. If you know your run is going to be in the heat, then pick the heat, you know, the heat, the hotter, hottest times of the day to run so that you're getting your body adapted to that temperature. Or if it's going to be cold, maybe doing your swims, you know, outdoors, open water, or doing whatever it is in the morning, whereas when it's cooler, to just kind of get your body adjusted uh, to the body temperature. What would you say was the most gratifying beyond the finish and beyond being in Hawaii of doing your first full Ironman uh, or long distance course in, uh, what was your most gratifying experience of doing your first full arm distance? Um, I mean, gosh, it is crossing the finish line, but for me, because of everything that I had been through that year, and it was only, you know, five and a half, six months after my accident and spending months, not knowing whether I was ever going to be the same again, if I was going to be able to race again, um, the fact that I not only came back, but I put my body, you know, through something that grueling on one of the hardest courses in the world. And just having my dad up in the stands, uh, you know, I crossed the finish line. I looked up at him and we just had that moment like, oh my God, I can't believe we did it because we just didn't know even the whole day, you know, he's tracking me, my mom's tracking me from home. And, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen pretty much. You know, my mom, she's crazy. So she's like, if it gets hard, I just want you to drop out. I'm like, mom, it's a full iron man. It's going to get hard. <laughs> you know, um, and my dad, you know, he's just like, he was totally aware. He's like, this is going to be really hard, but you're strong. And I'll see you at the finish line pretty much. So that moment when I crossed and I saw him, it was just like, oh, wow. Like we've been through so much this year and I did it. I'm like we did it. Yeah. You have a strong base. Like I've seen your parents, met your parents and your brother, mm-hmm. you know, in Augusta and, you know, support is important. 
You know, if you don't have a strong support system, it can affect how your races go. And you have a very strong support system. Let's talk about that for a second. How, where would you be without your support system? Oh, I mean, nowhere, definitely not doing this. Um, I think even if after my accident, if my parents were like, I don't want you to do this anymore, I want you to quit or something, I probably would have, I wouldn't want to put them through this, but they're very selfless when it comes to me. They've always encouraged me to chase whatever crazy dreams that I have. Um, they always give 100% of their support behind me, my brother as well. Um, call my brother up all the time the week before the race. Like, I don't know why I'm doing this. I'm so uh, blah, blah, blah. And he's just like, Sika, you got this. Like, you're always fine. So it's really their confidence and encouragement and even um, everything that I went through after the crash and them being there, letting me stay at the house, like shoveling me to all my doctor's appointments, answering the phone when I got back home, like crying to them. So um, yeah. And just having them at the race, there's something um, comforting about knowing that they're there, even though I'm like an old ass woman now, <laughs> it's like I'm a grown adult. I still feel like a kid. Like I want my mom there. You know, I want yeah. her to tell me it's going to be okay. I love hearing them cheer for me through transitions and stuff. Um, so yeah, they're everything. My family is everything to me. I love it. So when your family's not there cheering you on and you're out there working out, what do you choose to listen to, to keep you comfort and to be your support? Are you an audiobook person, podcast, music, or silence? A mix of music and silence. Um, it depends on how hard I need to focus on the training, like the splits and you know stuff like that. And if I'm training somewhere I'm not as familiar with, I won't listen to music. Um, obviously, if I'm riding outdoors, um, I really like riding with a group and having conversations and stuff. But yeah, I'm definitely a music person. Um, I listened to like all the '90s, like Bad Boy, you know, uh, Puffy, and or I guess that was more 2000. Um, <laughs> 112, you know, total, uh, SWV, like all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, they're kind of nineties. They're, 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 yeah, yeah, 90s. No, they're like late nineties, <laughs> but they're nineties. They're nineties. I'm here for that. I was just listening to a nineties, uh, uh, playlist the other day. I can't really disclose what kind of playlist it was, but just know it was oh, exciting. Like oh, it was so ratchet. It was so ratchet. I know. I don't want to say that, but it, yeah, I listen to that, especially on the bike, the indoor trainer, when I got a power through sessions. Hell yeah. Oh, boy, I, you have to have something that will take you there on those indoor biking sessions. And it was so, it's actually called like the 90s booty music because, you know, I'm from the South. So just think, yeah. imagine that era. 95 boys, uh, Uncle Luke, you know, don't judge me, y'all. I keep saying, I say that every episode, like, don't judge me, but you know, I'm who I am and I love it. And I like all types of music, but that's something that just, the beats are just so heavy that it makes you power it out. Um, wow. I don't know where to go next because I know our time is coming to an end and I uh, have just enjoyed talking to you. And I have so many more questions that I could truly ask you, but I'll just, uh, get you to end with this before we go to our fun rapid fire questions. Do you have a fun triathlon story that you would like to share with the people? Cause you know, we talk about how grueling it is. We talk about how hard it is, but you wouldn't do this if it wasn't fun. So tell us the fun, a fun story. I don't know. I wish I had some. God, I can't pretend this is hard. It is really, really hard. Um, <laughs> a fun story. Gosh, 
I'm so intense and serious when it comes to these races and training and everything. The fun stuff happens after my mom and I, our tradition is to, she brings a really expensive bottle of wine. And after I get through the race, um, yeah, we always, we split that and we end up talking half the night. So that's the fun part, but yeah, I can't say I have a really great story or anything like that. It's been kind of traumatic for me. Um, yeah. I mean, something that I always, oh, it's just so annoying. I always fall when I'm running, like, especially on the trail or something. So my knees are just totally like, if you see my knees, they're just destroyed. Like I fall every long run on a trail. So just like silly, I'm very clumsy. So just stuff like that. Now, when I tell, I'm like, oh, mom, I fell. And she's like, again, you know. (laughs) Hey, that's your staple. You just fall. You get down, you fall, you get back up again. Okay. So I thought that was my last question, but it's not. So tell me now that you are the first African-American female professional triathlete, what does that look like moving forward? I know people are tugging at you left and right to talk to you. Like, how has that changed since prior because you definitely had a very high profile going into getting your pro card but now that you have your pro card what has changed and what do you look to do now that you have your pro card like how do you want to help change the sport yeah um I mean, it was insane the day after the race that I woke up, uh, you know, I looked at my Instagram and I had like 2000 new followers and, you know, stuff like that. And, um, I've been doing, I feel like I'm on a circuit of like interviews and stuff, but it's been really cool to chat with people like Mike Riley. Um, I did a podcast with Lindsay Hind and, you know, now I'm on your new one and those type of things are really fun. So that my life has changed somewhat in that I feel like I'm actually a little bit in demand. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's weird. This is the first time in a really long time that I don't have a goal set. Like I was chasing this goal for so many years. And now that it's finally happened, I feel a little directionless. Uh, I feel somewhat, not in a bad way, but I do feel a little lost trying to figure out what's next. Um, For me, I feel compelled or like, I feel like I should say, oh, I want to try to podium at an Ironman, but I don't think that's my next goal. I think it's just to like, see what it's like racing in a pro field um, and try to have some fun with it. I feel relieved now that I have my pro card. Like every race I went in, I was putting pressure on myself. Other people weren't putting pressure on me, but I was putting pressure on myself. Like I have to get my pro card at this race. So to not have that pressure anymore, I'm hoping that racing is a little more enjoyable. Um, And then outside of me, now that I'm in this position and I have more of a platform, um, I would definitely like to do more like outreach type stuff. I really like not that I don't like speaking to adults, but I prefer to speak to children. Um, they just seem so like open-minded and curious. And I really find some joy in that. So um, especially like in the inner city and, you know, kids that have been through so much worse than me and my stupid crash. So um, yeah, hopefully do things like that, more like volunteer type stuff. I feel more fulfilled doing that than just the singular focus of me performing at a race. So I hope that's in my future. Absolutely. And I love to hear you say, you know, before you were intense and everything was so intense and grueling and you mentioned the F word and it was the good F word. You mentioned fun <laughs> moving forward. So I am excited that now that you've gotten uh, the, the prize, you can now enjoy the sport. Follow-up question to this is now that you have your pro card, is the pro card something you have to maintain and what do you do to have to maintain it? Or is it just for life? <laughs> 
Oh, girl, I haven't even looked yet. No, it's not for life. You do have to maintain it. I haven't even bothered to check that. I'm like, well, I have until the end of the year to figure that out. Um, I think it's for maybe two years or something. In order to validate it, you have to be in a pro race. So I would have to, you know, next year, it's not like I can just take the whole year off and still have a pro car. So you have to, you have to race. And um, to keep it from expiring, I think you have to do actually perform really well in a race. I heard it's hard to maintain your pro card. So we'll see. So I have to stay fit. <laughs> there it is. And you're up for the challenge and you have a good support system, even outside of your family, i.e. myself and others who will make sure that you stay supported and, you know, loved and just will hold you up uh, so that you can continue this uh, amazing destiny and destination that you're on. Okay. Now time for the fun rapid fire your questions. Woo, woo. All right. So don't think too, too hard. Sorry to try not to. Whatever comes to your mind is what I want you to, to go with. Okay. All right. Who or what inspired you? Um, children. <laughs> Love it. Favorite place to bike? Uh, Hawaii. <laughs> as hard as it, as it is, it's so beautiful. Yes. Um, favorite artist? Whitney Houston, always. Yes. Then what's your favorite Whitney Houston song? Oh, gosh. Uh, all of them. Um, what's the one I believe in you and me? That one from the preacher's daughter. I can't even remember the name of it. Preacher's I just, wife? Yeah, yeah, that song. Uh-huh. Well, we got it. I don't know the name of it, but we got it. Um, are you a transition minimalist Goldilocks where you have everything just right? Or are you a kitchen sink slash space hoarder? Goldilocks. Ah, tell me about your just right transition. Um, I always just do everything the same. Like I put this and you're talking about triathlon. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, I put my sneakers in the same place. I always put, uh, my helmet on top of the arrow bars. Um, I, yeah, I, I'm a creature of habit routine. I feel like if you just stick to that as much as possible, then that's the less you don't have to think as much. Got you. I already know running is your favorite. Mm-hmm. What's a close second, swimming or biking? Uh, now biking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Swimming's just so freaking hard. <laughs> it's like no matter how much I swim, it's all technique. It's like you could be in the best shape of your life and that doesn't mean that you're going to swim any faster. So yeah. Uh, but biking is the newest sport of the three for me. So I'm still figuring that out and still like working on my power position, everything there's, yeah, it's a little more fun. I love it. So you mentioned, uh, in during the race, sometimes you have challenges where you have to go to the bathroom. Are you a person that pees on the bike or you take your proper time to take, go off the bike? No, I use the bathroom. I peel myself <laughs> in the run also. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. I shouldn't be really that excited about being on yourself. <laughs> you know, you gotta go. You gotta, I remember even Hawaii. I was just so out of it. I was peeing in the energy lab. I mean, it was just like, oh, well, all right, just keep going. I don't like to stop. When I stop, it's harder to start again. So it's better for me to just keep moving. Absolutely. Just keep the party going and you don't even have to worry about it because okay. listen... And, everybody's in, and everybody's in their own hell. They're not paying you any mind anyway. Okay. You told us your best, your favorite post-workout drink, which is wine. What's your favorite post-workout food? Uh, burger and fries. Come through. 
And I'm just going to throw this out there. Do you like tater tots by chance? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm, okay. okay. And sweet potato fries. Mm. Okay. So you're okay. We, we get down in the, in the sandbox. We can play in the sandbox together. What's your favorite thing about triathlon overall? Um, just the, how grueling it is, um, that you can get through that. So like that high that you feel after, like there's so many times that I'm working out where I'm like, there's no way, even yesterday's bike workout. I'm like, there's no way I can do another rep. And then I did it and I'm like, oh, okay. Well, that wasn't that bad. So that feeling of like, oh my gosh, I did it. I couldn't, I really couldn't agree with you more. Um, and just to piggyback off your answer, you know, I'm training for my first full Ironman and I sometimes look at my schedule and I'm like, how's this going to happen? Like, and I freak myself out before I even do the actual thing. And, um, I had just had an 11 mile run on Saturday, um, a three and a half hour bike ride on Sunday, and then had to go into another bike ride Monday and a seven mile run on Tuesday. And I'm like, Mashonda, your body is not going to do that. And I actually did like it was, it was actually okay. And somehow my body produced and was able to sustain. So it's, it's our bodies do some amazing, amazing things. Okay. You mentioned two things that you would carry uh, two of, but what are some things that you wouldn't leave home without two things you wouldn't leave home without? Um, my cell phone. <laughs> Is that what you mean? Like, well, actually that's not true. When I go out training, I don't bring my cell phone. I don't like to have uh, anybody have access to me. So two things that I don't go without are, I have this like little iPod um, that I, just in case, like even, um, even a workout, if I'm like, uh, I don't want to listen to music, but I bring it just in case I can't make it through and I need that extra oomph. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, uh, fluids, always make sure that I'm like hydrated. So if you don't listen or bring your phone, you, do you still carry, um, how do you listen to your music then? If you don't use your phone, my, my old iPod, seriously, Sika? Yep. My old iPod. I don't bring my phone with me. I don't like having my phone on me when I'm training. And there it is, ladies and gentlemen, we have a dinosaur. I'm just kidding. <laughs> This has been so fun. Thank you so much, Sika, for your time, your talents, your energy and sharing with us. And I I hope that you'll come back on because throughout the year, we want to keep track of you, of what you do next, your current races and races that you will be doing and just to share with us because we know that you will have some good things to share and just some things that we just didn't get into today. So will you come back and chat with us? Of course. Yeah, my pleasure. And thank you for having me on here. And if people want to follow my story in the meantime, I'm active on social media and you can follow me, especially on Instagram um, at Sika Henry. I was just going to ask you to tell people. So Sika Henry, spell that for them. Sure. S-I-K-A-H-E-N-R-Y. Okay. And that's also your website name, right? Yep, Sika Henry. So website and social media, you guys have heard it here. Go follow Sika Henry, follow her story. She has amazing posts and she's real and she's raw. So if you're looking for somebody who's buttoned up and not going to be truthful, that ain't Sika. Sika's going to give it to you real. She's going to give it to you raw. She's going to do it with grace and definitely do it with style because she is absolutely beautiful. And we just thank you for having and coming on with us today. All right, that's it for us today. Mashanda's out. Peace.
Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode. We need your help so we can continue to try at TBL. So for more information on where you can find and subscribe to this podcast, visit www.trybeginnersluck.com. And don't forget, whenever you try beginner's luck, you always win.